Good morning, Montview. It's nice to be with you again. Grace, peace, and mercy are yours from the triune God. Amen. Uh, I personally have never uh, been a leper in a group of lepers, just for full disclosure, but... uh, But before I got sober, uh, I did live in a two-bedroom apartment with six people. Uh, We didn't spend a great deal of time outdoors. Uh, We didn't bathe as often as we should have. Only some of us had work. Mostly, we lived off what little we could make selling things that weren't legal to buy. Some of us had part-time jobs for minimum wage but never managed to hold on to the work for long. And while we often hurt ourselves, and we often hurt each other, at least we weren't alone. We shared our food and our drugs, and we laughed a lot. But when we left that basement apartment, the world felt overwhelming. The sun was too bright, and the normal people going about their lives seemed completely alien. I can only imagine what they thought of us. I thought of that time in my life recently uh, when I realized that in everything I've ever read about the 10 lepers, uh, in Bible studies and in commentaries and sermons, the 10 lepers are just basically stage dressing. They're, They're just background props for an important story about gratitude. They never seem to be treated as actual people. In fact, nine out of the ten are usually portrayed as ingrates, even though we don't know that for sure. I mean, we know they asked for healing, and Jesus said, go show yourself to the priests. And as they went on their way, they were healed. But we don't know their hearts. We just know that one of them saw he was healed and went back praising God. And then we use that information to make assumptions about why the other nine didn't do the same. We do that, we fill in the blank all the time when it comes to other people. But I'm pretty sure that what we assume about other people says a lot more about us than it really ever does about them. See, when the disciples saw 10 leave and only one return and then Jesus says, where are the other nine? I imagine the disciples didn't think, you know, I bet the other nine uh, are praising God in the temple instead of here. Or, I bet the other nine are preaching to other lepers, and that's why they didn't return. No, I bet my money that they thought the other nine didn't return because they're entitled ingrates. Social psychologists have a name for this, by the way. They call it the fundamental attribution error. The fundamental attribution error is a form of cognitive bias in which we tend to attribute the bad things that happen to other people as being a result of their character or their personality and the bad things that happen to us as being a result of forces beyond our control. If my colleague gets fired, it's because everyone knows she isn't very good at her job, but if I get fired, it's because the boss is sexist. But studies have shown that we don't just do this when bad things happen to other people, we do this when good things happen to other people as well. Meaning if I get a promotion, it's because I'm a hard worker, but if he gets a promotion, it's because he's the boss's nephew. Theologians have a name for this, by the way. Uh, We just have always called it sin. (laughs) 
Which is why I've started to say that as a society, I'm pretty sure our drug of choice right now is just knowing who we're better than. Which makes the Eighth Commandment a bit difficult to obey, by the way. See, in the small catechism, Luther's small catechism, I don't know, do you guys have a small catechism? <laughs> no, okay, all right, whatever. I, so I could say anything. I could just be like, Luther's small catechism says this, and people would be like, hmm. Uh, I promise you that in Luther's small catechism for the Eighth Commandment, um, which is, thou shalt not bear false witness against your neighbor, I always thought if I didn't lie in court about someone, I could check that box off. Like, pretty much every day, I was like, nailed that one. Uh, But in Luther's small catechism, he says it means that, yes, we should not tell lies about our neighbor, betray, slander them, or hurt their reputation, but defend them, speak well of them, and here's the kicker. Explain their actions in the most generous way possible. I'm not sure I've ever done that once. When I read that the first time, it felt like an act of aggression against me that Luther wrote that in the catechism. This means that when one leper turns back and praises God and Jesus says to the disciple, the disciples, where are the other nine? The correct answer is either A, none of our business, or B, doing something equally beautiful somewhere else. But here's the thing, when Jesus traps the disciples in their fundamental attribution error, it's not to trap them, it's to free them and to free us. To free us from the bondage of taking other people's character inventory to know who we're better than. To free us to be healed and whole without giving a care for the thoughts of other people, systems, or institutions. Without giving a care about the thoughts of Roman soldiers or bystanders or Jesus' disciples. But also it's to free us from the designations that others might have put on us. So as an exercise this week, and because it is entirely against my character to do so, I spent some time being curious about who the 10 lepers might have been as people, who they were as a community. Those around them may have seen them only as their designation as lepers, but I like to think that they shared meals with each other. They took care of each other. Maybe they even loved each other. Maybe to the non-leper community, they were only their designation of unclean and were not permitted the dignity of being more than one thing. And maybe that was because the so-called healthy people needed to assume that lepers became lepers because of bad choices in their lives. It was their own fault. Then the so-called healthy people could avoid feeling vulnerable to illness. If I can look at people experiencing homelessness and attribute their situation to bad choices and not societal factors, then I get to be assured it will never happen to me because I have good character. I make good choices. So it's simple. Nothing to worry about. And since there were 10 of them, 10 who formed their own little family, I wonder if the Roman soldiers who patrolled their city city considered them a gang. I wonder if there were laws against them congregating like that in public. I know for a fact that non-lepers must have feared them, maybe not unlike the way I fear the large groups of homeless folks at 23rd and Welton, as if poverty is a contagion. But to each other, 
But to each other, I think maybe the 10 lepers weren't just a group of people who had such bad character that they brought on their own illness. To each other, they were actual people. They were Susan, who was funny, and Francesca, who had two daughters, and maybe Steve, who was the best at changing bandages, and Tyrone, whose prayers were just so beautiful. Maybe to the outside world, they were only their disease, but to each other, they were so much more. They were people with their own stories and families and humor and heart and skill set. All I know is that a shared alienation can bond people like a shared privilege never can do. So maybe it was their unity. Maybe it, it was actually their we're all in this together, their we are all we have that allowed them to cry out and be heard because I've read that leprosy impacts the voice. So maybe together is the only way they could be heard and shout out like collective bargaining for their own healing. Jesus, have mercy on us, they yelled, us, not me, us. I kind of love the 10 lepers. Jesus said, go show yourself to the priest, and on their way they were made clean. And then one of them sees that he's healed and turns back praising God, to which Jesus says, your faith has made you well. But when Jesus said, your faith has made you well, that's different than saying, your faith is the price you pay if you want to be well. The 10 lepers were healed with or without attributing it to God. They were healed with or without seeing it. They were healed with or without an expression of gratitude. What I'm saying is faith is optional. It really is. Just like gratitude, faith is not an obligation. It's an invitation. It's not the cost. It's the gift. And it's such a beautiful invitation. It's such a beautiful gift. Because to trust that God is God and we are not means we're free from the bondage of having to fill in the blank when it comes to other people. That's some healing right there. Knowing that you are not the labels put onto you by those who want to feel good about themselves and only know how to do so by comparison. Healing is knowing that you are God's image bearer, but so is every jerk who cuts you off in traffic on Colorado Boulevard. Healing is not having to attribute character traits to other people, ever. My friend James says that faith is relaxing. Faith is just relaxing in the presence of God and the way we do when we're in the presence of someone we're certain is fond of us. Perhaps that is true praise of God, trusting that there's no extra credit to be had, no ranking to be jostled for, no worthiness to be earned, no one to vote off the island so I have a place. We can all relax in that kind of faith. We can relax and maybe even have our actions explained in the most generous way possible. Thanks be to God. Amen.